It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. We are rolling wide along. I want to say a huge thank you to our interview with Mr. Todd McRaven yesterday. I said it a bunch of times yesterday, but if you haven't had a chance, please go back, check that interview out. It was a blast to chat with him, the retired law enforcement officer, really insightful stuff. I really think anybody can benefit from it. All of our episodes, you can go back and look out, but this one in particular was really good. One of my favorites, but I got to say among my favorites is the one today as well. I'm not going to talk too long here today in the intro because I do want to get right to this interview. I'm excited about it. We recorded almost two weeks ago. I didn't know all this uh, other stuff was going to come up around the country, but I do want to say our interview today is with Tony Padilla. For those of you who are not sports officials or you, you know you just don't really take that much notice of those types of things. I do want to tell you, he's one of the best college basketball officials on the West coast. He works everywhere. He's in the big 12. He's in the pac 12. He's all over the place. He also has a baseball side. We're going to talk about, he coaches a little bit, has some experiences there that I'm sure would be a a little surprising to uh, basketball fans out there. But Tony is a great guy. I asked him to do it today. Or a couple weeks ago, I should say, but to I'm I'm posting it today. I asked him a few weeks ago to come on and inter- do an interview with me. We did it. It went so well. It went above and beyond. He's a great, great guy, great person, someone who just it, it, no matter what sport you work, you will learn something from him. If you're a sports official or have any interest in uh, what goes on inside the minds of sports officials, Tony has worked multiple Final Fours. We're going to touch on all of that. He is one of the most respected guys on the West Coast. He works all over the country, as I mentioned, but he's going to talk about the coach-referee relationship. Uh, I can promise you you're going to learn something, even if you're not a sports official today. So please check it out. Stay with us. Uh, Check it out today here in uh, the next few minutes as we get into it. I can promise you it's going to be worth your time. Tomorrow, I just want to say that we are going to be joined by Bill Barnes, as always, on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. If you had not had a chance to listen to Bill at some point, uh, he's on our show every Wednesday. He's a retired cop, Riverside police officer for many years. He also umpires college baseball or or did until recently retiring, but he has plenty to say. I know he's excited about tomorrow. Uh, I am as well. We're going to chat about a lot of current events, a lot of these topics such as uh, defunding the police, uh, you know, Minneapolis taking away, wanting to disband the entire police force, just all the different things that have gone on. We're going to talk about the coronavirus and, and you know, all the, the aftermath, hopefully now that we're moving forward from it, that has happened as a result of that and looking forward. There's plenty to talk about with Bill tomorrow. Can't wait to do it. But today, I don't want to waste too much time regarding our interview with Mr. Tony Padilla. I have the opportunity to work Uh, alongside Tony. Occasionally, I'm the replay official for the Big West in basketball. I work primarily at Cal State Fullerton. I've worked with him a few times there, just kind of being somebody who assists the officials, we'll say. 
And it's just a, a tremendous opportunity to, to see some of the best uh, basketball officials in the country. And I definitely learned a lot about my officiating journey as well. Uh, being primarily a baseball guy now, I, I take a little bit from everybody. And, and I'm just really excited about this interview, if you guys can't tell already. So I don't want to waste too much time. It's Tuesday morning. Grab a cup of coffee. If you're listening to this in the afternoon, grab a second cup of coffee. Let's get right to it. i really, really excited about this. So uh, sit back, relax. After a quick break from a sponsor, we will get right into our interview with Mr. Tony Padilla. Okay, joining us today is Tony Padilla. Tony Padilla is one of the best basketball officials on the West Coast. He works multiple Division I conferences. We'll get into all of his success and, and postseason and, and all that things uh, here in the uh, during the, our episode, our recording, but it is a great privilege to have someone of his caliber on, on the program today. So, Tony, thank you so much for being here. Matt, thanks for having me. And like I said earlier, I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of the goal when uh, officials go into games, right? We, we just don't want to uh, don't want to disappoint. But but someone's usually mad for for some reason or another. But no, none of that here on the podcast. You're uh, you're, you're going to be a great guest. And I can't wait to uh, post this episode. Um, yeah, what's interesting is you say that about disappoint. You know, it's it's funny every time we put air in the whistle, somebody's going to be happy, but somebody's not. So that's the reality of what we do. Yeah, that's the thing. I talk to friends, uh, you know, who don't officiate and, and you know, I've officiated uh, lower levels of, of different sports and everything. But man, every call you make, especially in basketball, uh, even the right ones, even when the call's correct, someone's upset. So it's a lot of managing people. Right. It's not just about play calling. Yeah, although the play calling has become more of a bigger emphasis as far as what we do because of video. Video has really highlighted the play calling of our business. So before where it was about managing personality, um, now it's really, really, really uh, become a play calling situation. I mean, we got to get plays right. That's That's what the coaches look back on. They don't really remember what we say, but they really, really emphasize play calling and what we do now. Oh, absolutely. It's got to be uh, it's got to have been a, been a situation where guys have really had to step their game up because of video, you know, at all sports. But basketball, man, they they <laughs> every call is scrutinized, it seemed like. And, you know, you're among the best in the business to do it. There's there's plenty of great officials out on the West Coast. Uh, I, I have the privilege to work instant replay uh, as a technician table side for the Big West Conference. And that's where our paths crossed. I've, I've seen you work many games and I've always been intrigued by, by yourself and many other top officials just in, in how they do things. Cause I'm a guy, I watch everything the officials do, no matter what sport it is. It's just, it's in my blood. I'm, and I'm sure there's other people at games who, you know, are watching you, but what I've always been impressed with you, Tony, when you walk on a floor, there seems to be an instant respect from people and, you 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 do get you know you you talked about getting plays right you get plays right but I I always noticed you stand out from a from a from a just a you man you do manage people well you know I think that is a, that is an art form that that you carry with you every time you step on the floor. Well, I appreciate that, Matt. And you do notice, you know, when we're an official, like I always watch football referees. Like I love watching Bill Vinovich work football. That's one of my favorite things to do. 
because you talk about managing people, he really understands how to manage not just the players, but the coaches as well. And um, so when we're officials, we do recognize that. And you can get a little bit of, you know, you can get some tips from these guys as to how they do certain things in certain situations. And that's what I've done. I've done exactly what you said. I've taken little bits of pieces of, of things that people have done and I've learned from it. There's some things I thought, eh, you know what, with my personality, that can't work for me. So I, I, you know, I just can't use that. There was an official out West, Scott Thornley, who was probably one of the best personality management guys you'll ever deal with. And there's a lot of things that Scott did that were phenomenal, but there was about 90% of the stuff he did that I could never do. And for instance, one time, I'll give you a funny story about that. One time I was at San Diego State, we're doing the San Diego State BYU game when both teams were ranked in the top 10. And I made a call and Steve Fisher was a little bit upset. And so instead of going across to center, I kind of walked over and I told Scott, I said, hey, Scott, switch with me here. I want to talk to Steve. And he smiled at me and laughed. He says, you have a much better chance of me being over here than you coming over here. So get your ass over on the other side. <laughs> so there's something that I could never do that Scott could do. So, you know, it's 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 a learning process and it's a real trial by error kind of thing. You don't want to err by in your trials very often, but there's a lot of things managing personalities that you got to learn along the way. And I'll be honest with you, man, I was not very good at it. And I probably improved over the last six or seven years because that was kind of a knock on me. And then I thought oh, I got to work harder at this. So that's why I got better at it. <laughs> I think it's uh yeah, it's definitely a sink or swim type of uh, scenario. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, well, Tony, we touched on a little bit. You work in the PAC 12, the big West, uh, you work some. You were also working the Big Twelve Conference USA. Uh, I think I've seen you work some other games and other conferences out here. Um, you know, you, you are you seem to be working a basketball game every single night. It seems like when uh, you know when the season is going. So, what can you tell me about generally? Like, how many games are you working a season? And is it is it like that? Is it pretty much Tuesday through Sunday for you? Or paint us a picture, if you will. Well, it depends. Um... You know, out west, the schools play from Tuesday through Sunday. And out in the Big 12, they play Monday through Saturday. So it just, you know, it's about coordinating your schedule. Luckily, I, and I, I'm very humbled by this. And luckily, I'm kind of wanted. So I'm one of those guys that the supervisors come to me and they say, okay, we'd like you to have this game and this game. So, yeah, I am for, very fortunate that I work as much as I do. And I worked about, I think it was around, I can't exactly remember, but I think it was around 90, 95 games before the – haltage of play but so yeah you know it's about managing your schedule managing your time managing your supervisors things like that so that all comes into play and, and just so people understand I mean 90 90 plus games the season starts in in early November I believe and it goes uh, you know into March with conference tournaments that is a big chunk of time spent traveling uh, you know, that's, that's just a lot of games to do in that amount of time. And it's gotta be, it's gotta be taxing on you at times, right? Not, not, not necessarily physically, although I'm sure it is, but just getting on a plane every, every day and being somewhere new and being expected to perform right away. It is, it is very, very, it's, it's, I wouldn't say I, the right way to say is you got to really manage your time and you got to really manage what you're doing. The worst thing you can do is be tired all the time. And that's what traveling does to you. And that's what working hard does for you. So, you know, 
what, what I try, I'll tell you what's important. I take a nap every day. I, as soon as I roll into town, I'm, I'm uh, pretty much in that hotel room taking a nap. And then there's a lot of film study that we have to do that. Uh, and then the, the biggest problem is it's hard to sleep after you get done with the game, especially a really big tight game. It's really, really, really hard to get to sleep because you're, you know, you're, you have all this adrenaline pumping and you're still kind of thinking about all the things that happened in the game. And there might be some phone calls after that, but the biggest thing you have to do is manage your time and manage that you just manage everything that you don't get tired to where you're getting the right sleep you need, that you're getting rest and things like that. Absolutely. And, and Tony, you talk about managing time. You also, you know, you have another job, a real job, if you will, uh, that I hate when people say that because so much goes into officiating at the, this high a level that it, that it does seem like a full-time job. But you also do some work, uh, you know, during the season and I'm sure uh, absolutely during the off season. What can you tell me about uh, the work you do outside of basketball? Okay, so I'm in the bail bonds business, which used to be a big business here in California, but because of all the laws that California has passed through the legislature, it's uh, my business is down dramatically. That's why what's really interesting is as I've come up through the referee ranks, you know, I never thought officiating would be the business it is today. So the bail business was really doing great. And then as the bail business really decreased, my officiating schedule really increased. So it's it's actually made a complete 360 from or 180 whatever it is to where officiating has become a priority versus the bail bonds business now i do i am the most fortunate person in the world i have a girl that works for me and she is absolutely incredible and she does all of my bail business during the during the basketball season she handles everything I don't have to do anything during the basketball season. I don't have to worry about it. Now she calls and asks questions and things like that, but she is so great that I don't, I can leave and trust her with everything that I need for her to do. And it's, it's really comforting for me to be able to do that. Wow. Well, that's definitely a blessing, especially getting to work so many basketball games over the course of time. And and I want to ask you that Tony about officiating basketball, that many games, how do you do you are you a guy that you take pretty much everything they give you do you open up are you 100 percent open or, or is it okay i think 90 95 is my limit like you know what i mean is is there a balance into your scheduling or, or how does that go about yeah great question so i'm not one of these guys that i want to work every single night i don't think you're doing the game any justice by doing that so last year the way that the schedule just kind of broke and they're starting to play some of these games earlier. Like there's some exhibition games and there's a lot of these, uh, these uh, closed door scrimmages that they play and they're starting to play a lot of those in October. So, you know, I mean, we're not jamming, you know, there's some guys that worked 105, 110, 120 games in the past where we're not jamming all of that into a shorter period of time. There's some stuff in October that we do that I consider kind of games because they're pretty much games. But uh, so I would say that I think last year, the regular season started November 6th. Everything just kind of broke perfect schedule wise. And it's hard to manage certain games and certain conferences to be able to work in those conferences. It's really a hard thing to do, but everything just broke perfect. And I looked at my schedule and I was like, wow, I'm at 95 games. I don't really know. I've never really worked that many before. I think the prior year I had worked 92, but honestly, for me, 
that's about the perfect balance. And I'm, you know, I'm fortunate. I keep myself in really good shape. I don't, I, I haven't put a bunch of weight on and it's easy on the body. And the more I work, the game seems to slow down for me. The better I see plays, the more comfortable I feel on the floor. Like I think I did a, a 12 game stretch last year. And by game 12, I was as sharp as ever during the season. Uh, what's really interesting is we work all these games during the regular season. And one of the hardest things that I ever did was when I went to go work my first final four, I had had a full week off. And when I got out on the floor, it was almost like, wow, it's the beginning of the season. I'm starting over. Whereas, cause we're so used to going, you know, not very often do I have two days off in a row. So when you have two days off and you're coming back on your third, you feel like, you're a little rusty, but you pick it right up. But when you're off for a week after doing it four or five times a week, it feels really, really weird being out there. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate, but right where I'm at 90, 95 games is just about perfect for me. Man, that's a lot of basketball, <laughs> but I understand uh, the concept of, of working every day. I'm, I'm a baseball guy, uh, you know, to my core, uh, you know, football, I've worked some football and football is interesting because there's so much preparation that goes into a game. There's so much talk and planning and, and you got a week to talk about it and, and there's a buildup for it. Whereas basketball, baseball, you got, you got a pregame, I'm sure uh, things you talk about, but you know, it's like, Hey, let's go back to work. Right. Hey, here, another day. Let's go. Like, repetition is good i think for those two sports yeah and football is interesting because you have the same i think you know the nfl guys and college guys have their same crew every single week whereas we don't we're with somebody different every night so you got to kind of prepare and 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 talk about different things with different crews you know and and <laughs> then then again you know we're, we have to manage personalities with coaches and players we have to manage personalities with our with our teammates out there as well too yeah, that's a great point. I mean, of those 90 plus games, you're working, you could work with, you probably work, you know, with some similar guys every now and then you cross paths multiple times, but in general, it's new partners every night. So what, what can you tell me, Tony, about what you look for in a partner? What makes, what are you trying to be, how are you trying to be a good partner or a crew chief, uh, which I'm sure you are most of the time, but just what are you looking for from your partners outside of the obvious stuff of, hey, get plays right, do the right things and, and all that? Well, the get plays right thing is really crucial for me because I don't want to have to go over there because when you're a crew chief most of the time and you have the experience that we have and the, and the guys that work deep into the tournament, the coaches obviously go to you first because they want your explanation on the play. Now, I don't want to go over and lie to coaches, but I'm not going to sell my partner out either. So there's a real fine line in how you handle that. And you know, there's times where you do want to go over there and you say, oh, he flat missed it. But you can't do that. You just can't. So, uh, you know, it's it's really, really interesting. And and like I said, the coaches want to come to you for that. They want to get the first word out of you as to what you thought about that play. So it's you got to have these built in responses so that you can handle things like that. My biggest response is on hard plays like that when they when they don't think they got it right. I'll, I'll immediately bolt over to the coach and I'll just to settle them down. I'll, I'll look at them. I'll say, hey, that was a really, really hard play. Whether you got it right or not, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you that was a hard play. And when you tell the coaches that they seem to mellow a little bit just because they don't really know that the heart that the play was so hard. 
They're just looking at it from their point of view. But when they hear an experienced person come over and say something like that, they seem to calm a little bit more because they're saying, hmm, they're buying into your experience. And so they're buying into the fact, well, maybe that was a really hard play. and Maybe I should go easy on them. Yeah, because you're not just going to say that just to appease someone, I'm assuming. You're, you're going to say that when it actually was something difficult. Uh, and, and so they know, just like just like uh, co- uh, excuse me, officials with coaches, you don't want to hear these automated responses from coaches all the time. Or they're, you know, I, I sit by the scores table, so I'm able to hear what coaches say all the time. And it gets me frustrated just sitting there as a – as someone who's not involved, I hear the same thing said all the time <laughs> from coaches Two referees complain in the same way. And it's like, oh, it's almost automated in, in the things they say. So I know that that's got to drive officials crazy. So they don't want those just plain automated responses right back to them also. So, so it's a fine balance, right? Very fine balance. And what's interesting is a lot of plays are very unique. I think I'll tell you what's really interesting. The last time I was at Fullerton, I had Northridge at Fullerton. And we had a situation where we had a really interesting play in that game. And Mark Godfrey jumped up off off the Northridge bench and just went haywire. Absolutely haywire. And the scary part was he was 100% correct. Absolutely 100% correct. Now, the play on the floor didn't really – it had a huge impact, but it was a very simple play. But the result of the next play impacted everything – in a big, big, big way. And Mark went ballistic. And the only thing I could walk over and tell Mark was, Mark, I'm not sure we handled that correct. And I understand how much this impacted your team and the player on the, that, that was affected by this. But you know what, Mark? You're just going to have to move on because there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> and just by telling him that, I think he bought into that and realized, you know what? He's right. And I think that's what's important. I don't think you got to go over there and tell the coaches what they want to hear, but I think you got to go over there and be honest with them. I think a lot of these coaches can see through lies and mistruths. And if you just go over there and you're just honest with them, I think that clears up a lot of the animosity and a lot of the problems that you're going to have with coaches. Uh, they just, they just, and believe it or not, these coaches are smart guys. They're very successful they can see through the BS that you're trying to give them. So I think honesty is huge. If you can go over there, just be honest with them and just be humbled every once in a while and show that you're a human and that we have human nature and just be, just go that route and you're going to be successful probably 95% of the time. And I think Matt, that's one of the things why I've had a better relationship with coaches and managing personalities because I've seen, I've been more transparent and I've been more honest with them, and I think it seems to work. Well, it's a great policy to have, I think, just with anything in life, but especially officiating. It's it's so challenging, and I love watching guys do it at high levels because I learned something. I, I don't. I used to referee high school basketball. I don't do that anymore, but I still learn things when I watch the best in the business do it. I watch. You learn something when you watch guys make mistakes. Also, there's so much to be to be learned. And, and I agree with you there, Tony, about the just honesty being the best policy sometimes. Because what are you going to argue at that point? What do you argue? There's you can be mad. There's no reason you can't be mad. But uh, if you're being truthful, that's all they can ask of you. I think. No, I think you're right. I mean, there's been many times where I've walked over to coaches and say, hey, 
look, I missed that play. Now, you can't say it three, four, five times a game because (laughs) it's not going to go very well for you. But, I mean, if you just go over there, show a little humility, tell them, hey, look, I missed that play. Then, you know what? These guys are pros. They'll move on. They get it. So, on that note, (laughs) I have to ask you, you know, there's there's definitely – a time to maybe go the other direction as far as, okay, they're starting to cross the line. Now what tools in my tool belt do I got to use? What, what for you really sets off a spark as far as, uh, okay, he's not, uh, (laughs) he's not buying into what I'm selling necessarily. Uh, He's crossing a line. What can you tell me about when it's time to kind of be a little more firm with coaches? Well, when they get when they become unfair, I mean, there becomes a time where they just get completely out of character and they get out of sorts. And when they become unfair, and what I mean by unfair is, is I mean, they start using some pretty bad language. They start questioning your integrity, things like that. That's like, a, that's the part of me that really drives me crazy. I'll give you a, for instance, my biggest pet peeve officiating is I cannot stand when coaches give me the wave off sign. Like they just look at you and they wave you off and turn their back. That absolutely drives me crazy because imagine this. Imagine if I looked over at a coach and I looked over at him and I gave him the wave off sign. Could you imagine like if Bobby Knight was coaching and I just looked at Bobby and I just gave him the wave off and walked away? I'd never work again. That's the, that's the reality of it. However, these coaches feel that they're entitled to be able to do that to us. And that's the side of it that I don't get. And that's what I mean by being unfair. When they use the language they do, when they use things like that, that type of demeanor, those types of actions, I really feel that that's unfair. And when they get unfair, I just give them a technical foul. End of story. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a line that, you know, it's, it's a firm line. And I think that's where the better officials do a good job because these days, if there's a technical foul on a coach, it's like national news, right? Like, Oh, you can't techni- you can't give coaches tease. Like, no, to me, there's a time and a place for it. I mean, you worked 90 something games last year. I'm sure you didn't have a ton of them, but you probably had a few. They happen. It's part of the game. And, and unfortunately I, I feel almost like basketball officials, all officials for that matter are, are almost restricted at, to us to a point where, Anytime an ejection or a technical foul happens, it's like, okay, it has to be 100% justified. And and there's some truth to that, but there's a lot of elements that go into when somebody crosses a line and, and, and all that. Yeah, it's funny. We have three, there's, we have this for technical fouls, we have three rules. And one of them, did it make the game better? Was it effective? And uh, is it defendable? So I think you got to have those in mind when you're giving technical fouls out. And like you said, you know, there are some coaches out there that feel like, okay, I, I am never going to get a T, you know, I, I don't deserve a T. I don't, I've ne- I'm, I've refereed this long. I've won this many national championships. I'm so respected that I'm not ever going to get a technical foul. And if you do, there's going to be hell to pay for it. You know what? This is the way I see it, Matt. It's just another play. It's just in our rule book. It's just like double dribble. I mean, there's going to be a turnover or there's going to be a foul and somebody's going to shoot some free throws. That's the end of it. It's just if they can't move past that, the fact that it's just another play, then maybe they should take a look in the mirror. 
I mean, we're out there to do a job and we're out there to adjudicate the rules as written. Right. And to move on to to get further with this, we were kind of called out out west by the national coordinator of officials saying, you know, we're soft. We let coaches do too much. And he kind of challenged us to be better at this, to be have to make bench decorum better because the NCAA has a big issue with bench decorum. So he kind of called us out and asked us to clear it up and clean it up quite a bit. And I thought, well, it's way easier to do that than it is to sit over there and be embarrassed or be kind of uprooted by a coach. So it was way easier. I, I gave more technical fouls. I had two ejections this year. And but in hindsight, it was a way easier way of doing things. And I think it got more done along that along those lines. Mm-hmm. There's a time and a play. That's the thing, Tony. It's not like I think there's this misconception by media and fans that officials, you know, oh, he wanted to eject that guy. He wanted to tee up that guy. I, I mean, there's a, I, I work baseball. There's a ton of ejections in baseball because we unfortunately don't have the technical foul. Uh, and you see that a lot. Oh, he wanted to eject him. It's like, no, no one, I don't think anyone wants to be put in that position, wants to do the paperwork. But uh, unfortunately, it's just part of uh, like the game, like you said. Okay, it's a double dribble. Like, what other rules? What other. <laughs> what other rules are you supposed to ignore out there? So I just, I get frustrated when I see this misconception out there about officiating and people think they can read officials' minds. I think you said it just, you said it great right there. What other rules are we supposed to set aside? And <laughs> when you say it like that, coaches start to think, huh? And then they figure it out along the way. I mean, it's like, what do you want to just not let them? We'll let everybody travel tonight. How about that? Well, they go crazy because they love traveling. But (laughs) um, so that's a great way of saying it. What do you want us to set aside? What else do you want us to not do? So, Yeah, I I was up in your neck of the woods uh, not too long ago working a Sacramento State Series. And uh, it was a visiting team. But we had an ejection. The first we had first game of a doubleheader, actually. And, uh, you know, it happened, whatever. We go back out there. There's another situation. And an assistant coach, I'm now working third, he gets in my ear. And his comment was, that's the first time he's been ejected in eight years. And I'm like, okay, well, I've never gotten a speeding ticket. But the day I get one, it's like, okay, I I got one. Like, there's not this built (laughs) – good for you. Good for you for for not, you know, getting – you know. But it was like trying to attack me. For, for my overreaction or something. And I was like, you know what? That's just not the case. That's just because you haven't done something or behaved a certain way in a long time doesn't mean you're, uh, you're invincible from that or you won't do it. So, uh, you know, it's really funny to see the, the parallels with the various sports. Co- the coach officiating relationship, I don't care the sport, is, is always intriguing to me. It is. And, you, you know, baseball's, I don't know what it is about baseball, but there seems to be a lot more ejections in baseball. And, and, and what's interesting is there's always been that kind of that coach umpire little rivalry thing in baseball. I don't think we endure that as much as they do in baseball, but you know, you, you see it from time to time where there's, you, you can tell that it's been a little rocky between an official and a coach. I mean, you can you can feel the tension there, but in baseball, for some reason, man, you just never know when a coach is just going to explode, and it just happens. And the way I think there's a lot of things that baseball umpires do that are great. I think there's a lot of things that baseball umpires do that are really bad, 
Mm-hmm. And like the baiting thing, that is one thing that, that we could never do. Sometimes you see these guys kind of bait guys. And I think, oh, God, if I ever did that, I'd never work again. <laughs> like but you said. I, but I think going back to that, I think there's a lot of like in the in with the video and the all the stuff and sports center and all this stuff, I think you're seeing less and less of that. I agree. I agree very much. I, I think, you know, like you mentioned with the technical fouls, you got to do what's defendable. You, you can't yeah. at all times. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to make the game right. That's what Dick Cartmel, who's my dear friend, probably mentored me more than anybody about officiating. Always told me, hey, you got to get the game right. You got to get the game right. God, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many times he used to tell me that. And he was right. Yeah. Oh man. I, <laughs> I have seen him work a few times, met him, uh, met him a few times also. Yeah. Great guy, veteran official. It just, it's uh, it's really cool to <laughs> see uh, and, and hear from, from veteran officials like yourself, just you, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I tell you, I'll tell you that much. Uh, well, well, let's talk a little baseball, Tony, since we're on that subject, you are someone who is involved in baseball outside of working uh, college basketball you you've coached your kids in uh, travel baseball you you work uh, or, or coach uh, as an assistant coach at American River Community College and you also you're someone who you throw batting practice to uh, the Sacramento River Cats uh, the Triple A team up there in Sacramento I forget the organization that they are now I, I don't know if it changed or not but yeah you're, you're uh, outside of all this basketball you're you're a big baseball guy as well yeah, so baseball is my background. I actually played at Gonzaga. So I played in high school, had a good career in high school. I was just a very, very, very mediocre college baseball player. So that was it for me. I played in college. I was fortunate enough to do that. And it was a great experience. But yeah, so that's my real background. However, I was always basketball was always my true love and my true passion. And I think that's kind of what drove me to officiating. But as far as the baseball coaching goes, yeah, my son was younger and he he enjoyed, loved, loved the game. And when he first started playing, I hate to say this, but he was absolutely horrible. And he'd say, Dad, I love baseball so much. And I'd say, well, why do you love it so much? Zach, you're not very good. And he'd say, oh, I just love it. I said, well, do you love it because I played and you hear people talk about me playing? He says, no, I really love the game. And so I thought, you know, if my son loves the game that much, why I have to do something to be involved. I mean, I know the game really well. I don't mean to brag about that, but I really know the game. So I thought, you know what? If he's that committed and loves the sport that much, then I got to get involved and be more active. So I started, I put together a small travel ball team here in Sacramento when we were about 11 or 12 years old. And by the time our travel ball team hit the age of 16, we were one of the top North teams in Northern California. We were really, really good. And I was fortunate to be able to go out and get kids that I knew were committed to it and I knew could improve. And I was proud to say we had seven kids off that team go play Division I baseball. I mean, they didn't play at high-profile places like UCLA and things like that, but we had a bunch of kids go and play. So, so that was very rewarding to me to be able to see that. So then from there... In the meantime, my, I have some friends of mine that coach over at American River College, and I would just go out there and throw batting practice, and then it got to, hey, can you work with the infielders? Hey, can you work with the hitters? Hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And by the time you know it, I had a uniform, and I was sitting in the dugout coaching. Now, I didn't do any game, I didn't do any game signs or anything like that, but pretty much I just sat in the dugout 
and watched, took notes, and, you know, coached in practice what we should have done in games and things like that. So then in 2015, the Sacramento River Cats had changed from the Oakland A's to the San Francisco Giants. And I hate to say this, Matt, but I probably throw some of the greatest batting practice you'll ever see. Some of the greatest BP. I can really throw BP. I mean, like really throw it to the point where it leads to another story. So in 2015, I get a phone call from Steve Decker, who's the Giants, uh, minor league Giants hitting instructor, to come out and throw batting practice. And it was like a tryout. Now, I thought I was going to throw to Andrew Susak, who's a friend of the family's. And I was just going to go out there and throw some BP to Andrew. Well, it works into a tryout. Next thing you know, the Giants hire me to throw batting practice for the 2015 season. And it was an absolutely tremendous experience. Now, I have never been involved in the professional baseball world at all. And it's way, way, way better than the amateur side of it. It's absolutely incredible. The teaching the what the what the players learn what's expected the just the the sheer professionalism of the whole thing is incredible so i go out there now the i'm with the giants i'm hired by the giants uh i throw batting practice the whole entire year of 2015 and there were some great guys on that team and and kevin franzen really sticks out a guy named jarrett parker these are guys Fran, franny played in the big leagues for the number of years well, one of the guys was Adam Duvall, and Adam Duvall was there until July, the end of July, and then he was traded to the Cincinnati Reds in, in a trade when the Giants were trying to make a little run. So he went to the Reds, finished out the season. Now, I've stayed in touch with these guys, and they're such great guys, and we've become really good friends. Well, the next year, Adam, in 16, Adam has a great first half of the season with the Reds, and he's like second in home runs and maybe second or third in RBIs. And he ends up making the all-star team. Then he's selected to compete in the home run derby. Well, then, then my phone rings and he says, hey, I got selected for the home run derby. How about you come throw at the home run derby? You know, you're going to be my BP guy. And I told Adam, I said, I don't know, Adam, that one, that might be out of my comfort zone there. But he talked me into it. And so in 2016, I was fortunate enough to go throw to Adam in the home run derby in San Diego. So that's kind of my baseball career in a nutshell. And it's all pretty, almost all of it never came from a player. It came from being a coach and a BP guy. And I'll tell you what, the experience I had coaching my son all those years, I know there's probably times where he just absolutely hated it because I tell guys all the time. Here's where I stand. Biggest critic, biggest fan. You do it right, pat you on the back all you want. You do it wrong, and it's not going to be fun. So, I, you know, I get kids make, make mistakes. They're going to miss ground balls. They're going to strike out. They're going to swing and miss. They're going to swing at bad pitches. I get all that. It's just the effort that I expect. So, like I said, it was a great experience with my son doing what I did, and we traveled all around the country playing baseball. One of my favorite tournaments is down in Southern California. The, the the Firecracker tournament down there is incredible. But yeah, yeah, you probably you probably umpired in that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I umpired down there, or, or yeah, down here, I should say. Uh, a lot of other uh, that's where a lot of other umpires down here, you know, recognized you as a coach, and it was yeah. fun talking uh, to a few of my colleagues about <laughs> about yeah, Tony Padilla, great guy, and uh, like, yeah, he coaches baseball. It's like oh man, 
uh, yeah, th that that's a good tournament, real big one, and and just a lot of fun to be a part of. I will say, Tony, you dropped some names on me there that were very familiar because I I had the uh, I I worked the California League. I worked right. in the minor leagues from 09 to 12, but I remember Parker, uh, Duvall, those guys, uh, that San Jose Giants team was stacked, and those teams, you know, ended up winning some – were part of some World Series teams and everything. But you brought up your family friend, Andrew Susak. Mm -hmm. Well, Mr. Susak, <laughs> he probably won't remember me, but he'll remember the situation. I actually – I mean, it, it was a, it was a no-brainer thing uh, – you got to ask Andrew about the, the fight in Visalia where I ejected him and hit the guy. He was the base runner who he ended up fighting with. <laughs> he threw a punch over my shoulder and connected with this guy. <laughs> oh man. It was wild. It was uh it was a wild situation. Benches cleared and everything, but man, you said Andrew Susek. I went, Oh wow. Memory, memory lane. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's funny how all this stuff ties into that stuff. But I knew that I knew you umpired in the in uh, did some minor league stuff. But what's <laughs> interesting is that you know Aunt, it's funny you saying about Andrew. Andrew is one of the best kids I've ever met. He's really really a good kid, and to hear about him fighting on the baseball field is hilarious. It's really really <laughs> funny. But I'll throw another name out there uh, of another guy who we I'll tell you what this guy and I got to be good friends, really really good friends, and we still are. And that's Andy Skeels. And Andy was probably the manager for that team in San Jose. Is that correct? Yes, he was. <laughs> and, and I would have to say that you and Andy probably had quite a few conversations. And you talk about managing personalities. Now, I really like Andy, but I could see where he would really be tough to deal with on the uh, outside the chalk lines. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was. He was, uh, you know what, he brought a certain personality uh, I never had to eject him, but we definitely had our, our fair share of discussions. And yeah, he was, he's a tough guy to deal with, but you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's just trying to do a job like the rest of us. See, now I would say if you never ejected, if you never ejected Andy, then whatever you sold him or told him <laughs> had to have been really good because I've seen, you know, I've, when I was with the Giants, I, there's times I sit in the dugout and I stay on the, you know, I stay there on the sidelines or, or stay at the game and things like that. And I mean, he wasn't even the manager and I could think, oh God, could you imagine I'm part a game with Andy sitting over here? Uh, and I love Andy. Don't get me wrong. I do like the guy. I'm not bad mouthing him at all. He's, he's become a really, really good friend and a great supporter. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, man, it's hard to believe that was eight years ago and such, but I, we had the Giants a lot that year, and, I, and we had a situation even the opening weekend where I ended up, I think, with my first plate job or something, and, you know, two guys out of the dugout. It kind of – I don't know if it set a precedent or what, but, uh, no, Andy, yeah, he was a tough guy between the lines. It's, it's good to hear uh, <laughs> other, other guys talk about him that you know, and just all these names, all these players. Every – this – the world is so small. It's so crazy, right? Yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, um, I, I knew you – I knew you umpired back then in, in the Cal League, but I just didn't know. I couldn't get the years. I, I just didn't cross track of that. But I'm trying to think. So you umpired all those guys, Jared Parker, Adam Duvall, uh, all those guys that came up through the Giants system pretty much, and others too as well. That that year, uh, that year itself, not just those Giants, but that league itself, a ton of guys got to the big leagues from that league. And, and the, it was really – I'll tell you what, when, when talent is that good, especially at that level, you really have to step your game up as well uh, because 
there was a lot of talent in in that league with just all the players that that got to the big leagues from the various teams and the Giants team. Yeah, they were they were loaded. <laughs> so I no no, it's not a shock at all to see that they were successful in, in getting to the big leagues. Yep, yep, and pretty much a lot of those guys came right through San Jose, right through there. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, well, Tony, uh, that's, I mean, I could talk baseball forever. I, I yeah, love it. Me it's too. The... <laughs> it's, it's probably more interesting than basketball. <laughs> it, it can, it can be, I guess so. Uh, so you played baseball at Gonzaga. That's funny. I was like, well, let's talk about basketball again. How did, so you, you had this love of baseball. You also loved basketball, but how did you get your start? What was that like? Did you just decide one day to start in a high school unit? Did someone direct you? Tell me about kind of the, the start and kind of your journey getting to where you, you are now. Okay, good story. So when I was up at Gonzaga playing baseball, Dan Fitzgerald was – so back then, not only was he the head men's basketball coach, he was the athletic director, and he also had to run inter, the intramural program. So part of making some extra money is we would go out and we would officiate the intramural games. We did football and we did basketball. So I was officiating the basketball games and there was a big game between uh, it was, well, actually it was a championship game and Fitz came to me and he says, Hey, I'm going to have you work the championship game with, with Brownie and Steve Brown was our assistant coach at the time. And I said, I thought you were going to hire somebody to work that game. He says, no, you can do just as good as somebody who, who uh, uh, we're going to hire. And Brownie's doing high school basketball. He can help you through it, but you'll do fine. So I said, okay. So I went out and refereed this game between the seniors and the law school students. And I'm telling you, it's to this day, it's still one of the hardest games that I've ever officiated. It was really hard. And it was, you know, back then you think about it. I mean, I was doing two man all the time, but it was two man. It was a championship game. You know, these guys are playing like, like it's the NBA finals, right? Cause that's all that matters to them. Their careers, they're basically their athletic careers are over. And that intramural game is the most important thing in their life. So we're working, we're working really hard at this game and we go over at halftime and I'm kind of tired because I'm working so hard. And Fitz looks at me and he goes, man, you're doing a great job. And he says, you know, when it's all said and done, Tony, you should really look at officiating after you're done playing baseball. He says, you have a really good feel for this and you should really think about that. And I looked at Fitz, I said, Fitz, I'm never going to do this as a profession. Never. (laughs) And he says, no, you should really think about it. Well, after I was done, I start. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back and officiate. It was kind of fun. So I started doing high school basketball, and then, you know, it just transitioned, and it just went to where what it is today. So very, very fortunate. I guess if it wasn't for Dan Fitzgerald, I would have never got my start in the officiating world. <laughs> so so I got to ask you this. I think we've talked about this before. You, you what Was there ever a time – that you considered baseball umpiring as well. Okay. I, this is a funny story too. I, <laughs> I went to Donnie Bridges who ran the junior college. Well, I didn't go to him. He was standing there talking to me and he says, Hey, you do all that basketball stuff. How come you don't do baseball? And I said, no, nah, I don't know. I just don't want to get, I don't want to start doing freshman and JV. You know, I hate to say it, but freshman baseball is hard to umpire because it's so <laughs> slow. So, but you probably have experience of that going through what you did. Okay. So I said, you know, cause I did, I did freshman high school basketball and I did, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, but I think what's important to understand in the officiating side of this is that when you're doing a game, 
That game, and I said this earlier, that game is the most important thing to those kids at that time. That's their whole life at that point. So you got to really work hard to do to do the right thing and to work hard at officiating that game. So uh, on the baseball side, I was standing there and Donnie says, you know, why don't you do it? I said, I just don't think I can put my heart into doing a freshman baseball game. And I don't want to start there and work my way up. And he was assigning junior college baseball. He says, you think you could do a junior college game? And I said, I do. I think I could do it better than some of the guys you have. (laughs) And he says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a game. And I'll work first base. You do the plate and, and we'll see how you do. And if you do fine, I'll give you some games. I said, okay, that'd be great. So I show up, he gives me a game over here at Sac city college and they're playing a team from Oregon. And so, you know, it was a, it wasn't a league game or a conference game. So it was a, it was a preseason game and I get behind the plate and I'm going to tell you something, the plate gear back then was not very good, not even <laughs> close to what it is now. So I get behind the plate. And I thought I did a pretty good job. And I didn't have any issues with coaches. Nobody said anything about the strike zone. Nobody said anything about, you know, how I called the game. So I go over at the end of the game and Donnie and I are sitting there having a beer. And Donnie says, here, and he writes out this thing and he hands me the schedule. And he says, here's, here's 30 games. And I thought, you're kidding me. And he says, no, here's 30 games I'd like you to work. And I said, great. And, you know, I was just getting, I was just kind of out of college. And, and I thought, well, this is good extra income. I think we were making $40 a game back then. So, <laughs> so I'll never forget it. We're in the middle of May and I'm behind the plate and we have this heat wave come through Sacramento. It's about 150 degrees out here. And I'm behind the plate for a second game of a double header. And I've been hit by about seven foul tips in the same exact spot on my arm. And this game's going about three and a half, three forty-five, four hours. And I said, this is the last ball game I am ever going to umpire. And that was it. And I vowed to myself that I'm never going to do any sport without a clock. That's the end of it. <laughs> so that was my baseball career behind the plate and on the bases. You, you know what, Tony? It's, it's funny because – uh, I think a lot of guys have had that that feeling at some point in their baseball career. But, you know, it's funny hearing guys who only do basketball or only do football. And, you know, I talk to you about baseball and I try to tell them, I, you know what? It's just different. <laughs> it's very different. There's no clock. I can't explain uh, <laughs> some of the things we do and have to do. But but you're right. It's it's not for everybody. And for those that do it, um, I <laughs> I I don't know why I do it sometimes, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I tell I could picture you out there. I, I'm sorry to laugh so much, but no, it's funny. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, well uh, while you brought that up, getting hit, you know, Tony, was it last year? I thought I was watching you at Stanford on TV. Oh yeah. Oh, you took it was such a freak thing. I thought I thought you were really seriously injured. I mean, can you tell us about what happened on that play and? Uh, you know, it, it wasn't getting hit by baseball seven times like you did that day. But what no. was it? What happened exactly? I would have rather got hit by a baseball seven times. Um, so, you know what? Here's the problem with a lot of the bad things that happen on the basketball court is because you lose focus. And so I'm just kind of strolling down, like thinking, OK, this is no big deal. And I get a little bit out onto the court and get out of position. And so because I'm kind of watching something else that instead of watching what I should be watching. So. And anyways, so now, the, of course, the guy loses the ball, right? And all of a sudden, now there's a scramble for the ball, and I'm out onto the court, and I'm out of position. 
And naturally, everybody's been told, okay, you got to dive on the ball whenever there's a loose ball. So here comes everybody diving on the ball. And one guy dives right into my left knee. And it hurt so bad, Matt. As soon as it happened, I was, it hurt so bad. And I thought, oh my God. And it was the end of the year. And I thought, oh, no postseason. You know, you, you always want to go back to the Final Four. And you're thinking, uh, right then I thought, this is it. It's over. And I sat down and I was almost screaming. It hurt so bad. And all what ended up happening was I just hyperextended my knee. Luckily, there was no structural damage. And I'll tell you what, if you're ever going to get hurt, Stanford University is the greatest place in the world to get hurt. I think I had three doctors helping me out in the locker room afterwards, checking my knee. Hey, you want to go get an x-ray? Hey, we could do this. Hey, we could do that. I said, no, you know, it's actually starting to feel a little bit better. better. There was no giant swelling. They didn't hear anything pop. So, but they were all there checking it out. And they said, hey, you know, I think you just hyperextended. I think you'll be fine. You just got to ice it and kind of lay low. So I was fortunate that this helps being in good shape is I was able to work the next night and I finished that game. Now I wasn't as great in that game as I should have been, but I actually finished the game and then actually worked the next night. And I felt fine after I got some treatment at UNLV the next night and those guys really helped me out and I was able to, uh, to be fine. So that was good. But yeah, that was a little scary, really scary. Oh, Man, Tony, it was, it looked so bad. I thought you were, you were done. Yeah. I mean, it looked ugly and I was very fortunate, as you said, uh, but you don't see many uh, basketball injuries, especially compared to like baseball. Uh, as far as officials go, you'll see guys pop a hamstring or, or Achilles or something, but that was just such a unique, weird play. And man, when he jumped on your, it fell on your knee like that, that was, oof. Anyway, sorry to bring it up. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it was scary. Well, you touched on uh, getting to the Final Four a couple times, and you got to work the Final Four in 2016, 2017, once in Houston, the next year in Phoenix. Uh, what what can you tell me about that experience? Just just everything for us, getting the phone call, finding out you're going, the teams that you played, that, that were there when you officiated, what it was like working those uh, high level games. Yeah. It's one of those things you don't know, ever know what it's going to be like until you actually get there, but from start to finish. So the first year I went, it was in Houston. And so what people don't realize is that we, for postseason assignments, we don't find out until the week of. So when the tournament starts on Thursday, the regular tournament, when it starts on Thursday, we don't find out our assignments until usually the day of or the night before but we don't find out where we're going or if we're going until that week. So for the final four, they, they, uh, JD Collins, who's a supervisor of officials, he calls you personally and, and tells you that you're going to go. So the first time I received the call, I'm going to be honest with you. I just started crying. Couldn't believe it. It was like, it was like you work so hard for a goal and to have this, to finally, accomplish what you set forth on it was this it was overwhelming and it was kind of funny because my daughter was here and my oldest daughter for some reason she didn't have school and she came running in she thought something was wrong and I looked at her and I said hey I'm going to the final four and she was pretty excited and you know she saw me the emotion I don't show too much emotion usually around my kids but she saw it. She was pretty like, wow, this is really something for my dad. So it was really, really cool 
to have one of my kids here when that happened. And so, but the, the, the flip side of that, it was really neat. So I went to Houston and uh, my brother, my middle brother actually lives in Houston. I have another brother that lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And what was really cool is to be able to have my whole family, my, my wife and my youngest daughter weren't able to go, but it was really cool to share it with my brother, both my brothers. And then my son flew out for that. And then my daughter also flew out for that. So that was really a great experience. So the, the, the game is on Saturday. I did the uh, Villanova Oklahoma game and everything went great. I worked with two great guys, Mark Whitehead, and Tom Eads. And it was, it was mind blowing when you walk out on the floor and you see what you see and probably one, one of the, one of the greatest images I can see is Steve Fisher yelling at me while I was out on the floor and he was in the stands and yelling at me, Tony, Tony, Tony. And I look at him, catch his eye. And he says, I am really excited and happy for you. Congratulations. You know, that's when you really realize, wow, here's a professional like Steve Fisher congratulating me about what I just accomplished. And it really makes you feel like, wow, this is really, really something what I was able to do. So, and that game went great. It actually went tremendous. And then I was fortunate enough to go back again the next year. And I did the, uh, and this was in Phoenix. And I did the semifinal game between Oregon and North Carolina, a real close game. Now the Villanova Oklahoma game was kind of a blowout and maybe, maybe in hindsight, it wasn't bad that my first final four game was kind of a blowout. I'll never forget what Tom Eads said to me on the court when we first, just before we went out and throw up the jump ball, he handed me the ball because they wanted me to toss because not very many guys like to toss and he handed me the ball and he says, get ready for the fastest two hours of your life. And boy, he wasn't lying. It went so quick and it was over before you knew it. Well, the second year, it was a great game and everything went great. I worked with Ron Gruber and Ted Valentine and that was in Phoenix and it was a great game and everything went fine. I'll never forget. I had a call in that game that I absolutely regret to this day. It was a horrendous call. So even though you're out there, you're still going to make bad calls. But that call really sticks out to me. I, it still really bothers me when I think about it. I can't even watch a game because I think about that one play. But it was a really bad call. But, in, you know, over, over the long haul, we didn't, it didn't really impact the game. And it was a great game. And both of my Final Four experiences were tremendous. That's uh, <laughs> that's incredible stuff. I, I love hearing guys work their entire career and, and get to a, a moment like that, the highest level. And to be able to do it back to back years had to be real special, too. Well, well Tony, it's uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, in the near future, because of those two performances yourself that, that you get to do, uh, you know, I'm sure there's one more goal out there for you that you'd like to uh, one more game you'd like to work uh probably on, on a Monday night sometime in, in April, right? Yep, yep, that's the goal. I mean, it's funny how we're so competitive as officials. People just think that we're just guys out there collecting a paycheck and things like that. Now, we're very, very competitive. I don't know of any, official, in, any officials in the country that I have dealt with that aren't that competitive. I mean, to think that we want to work in the greatest – Probably, I, I think college basketball is one of the greatest sports, one of the greatest events that you can have, especially the, the March Madness. To be a part of that, to be able to work in that environment, and to, to again, to kind of accomplish a goal of yours, to be a part of that is absolutely tremendous. And, yeah, 
we want to put ourselves in that environment where everybody's watching, where basically you're refereeing in a fishbowl. Everybody's kind of hoping that you do poorly. There are still people like that. And yet we want to put ourselves in that situation. But yeah, that's the competitive side of us that we work so hard during the regular season. And it's just not just the, the on-court stuff. It's the video breakdowns. It's the flying. It's the time that we put into this. It's the time away from our families. But yeah, that's the goal is to work on a Friday or on a, on a Monday night. I really thought a couple of years ago at my second one, I might be, have a chance. But since I went to Gonzaga and Gonzaga was at the final four that year, I wasn't able to work. I didn't have an opportunity to work that Monday night. So down the road, yeah, I would love to work a championship game. And I'm sure after I work one championship game, I'll want to do another championship game. That's just, <laughs> that's just how we are. I mean, you just want it. You just, you, 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 I don't know what it is, but we're so competitive. You just kind of get a feel for it and you want more and more. Yeah. You bring up a great point about competition amongst officials because the irony is we're doing a job that we are managing other team or teams who are, who are competing and we don't care what the outcome is. So then to, what people don't understand about the competition side of things is that it's still there. It's just a very different form than a win, win and a loss type thing. What I think officials, the best ones are, are the hardest on themselves. They, uh, they embrace that pressure. They don't want the spot. I think that's a big misconception too. Guys don't want spotlight. They don't want to be, Hey, look at me, but they do embrace pressure. They embrace the responsibility that you have out there to work a game at that highest level. And it's got to be a tremendous honor. You said it. I, I couldn't say it better myself. It's perfect. What you just said. <laughs> oh man, Tony, I could talk with you for hours, man. Uh, just basketball, baseball, all the different baseball stories. I learned a bunch of things today talking with you about uh, some of your baseball uh, things on and off the field. That was really cool. Uh, I got to ask you this as far as basketball, baseball, it doesn't matter the sport. What is, as someone who's been around a long time, worked a lot of games, worked high levels, has a respect to coaches, what is a couple of things you can tell younger officials who aspire to to be among the best in the business? Doesn't matter the sport. We talked about play calling is, is probably up there, number one. But just what are some words of advice you could give young officials who really want to take this thing to the highest level? You said it just a few seconds ago or a few minutes ago. You got to be really hard on yourself. You have to expect a lot out of yourself in order to to aspire to be as where you want to go. Um, I mean, you have to. I am so critical of myself. It's scary. I mean, probably to the point where it's it's. Well, I wouldn't say it doesn't work, that it's not effective, but I would say for me and my personality, it's very effective. But I am so critical of myself. Like when I watch game film, it's like I just said, like in that Stanford game, I lost focus a little bit. I ended up getting hurt. The final four in the Oregon, North Carolina game. All I remember is the bad, the bad call. I don't remember the other 21 that I got right. I just remember that one. So I would tell guys, you have to be very, very critical of yourself. You have to be very, very honest with yourself because if you're not, how are you going to be honest with others when you can't be honest with yourself? And that's something that's critical for people to understand is if you're making excuses for yourself and you're constantly doing it, then you're going to fall into that, that situation where you're going to, you can't, you're going to have a void in your life because you've always made excuses for yourself. So 
That's number one. Number two, be humble at what you do. You got to be humbled by it, no matter what level you're working. I mean, uh, uh, another officiating story I can think of is one time when my daughter was in the sixth grade, I walk into the gym and, and, you know, here I am doing division one basketball and the coach looks at me and they're getting ready to play a game and there's no referee there. And it's a tile floor and it's a sixth grade girls game. And he looks at me and he's like, and I said, Oh, and I, so I go get my whistle and I officiate the game and I'll never forget it. The coach and the other team said, Hey, you know what? You're pretty good at this. <laughs> and I never said a word to that guy about it, but, but what I'm getting at is that no matter where you're at, be humbled by what you're doing. Be humbled by the fact that you're able to do something that you really enjoy doing. Uh, <laughs> number, number three, you got to be transparent and you got to be honest. We, talk, we, we really talked about that quite a bit. You got to be honest. People are going to see through what you say and what you do. Uh, and if you're constantly making excuses for it, and this kind of leads into number one, but you gotta, you've got to be honest with people. People are smart enough to see through it. The higher the, the higher the level you go, the smarter the people that are, the more successful they are. They're going to see through you, and they're going to be able to tell what kind of a person you are. And you, that only lasts so long. But those are the three things that I would tell guys. And hard work. you got to work really, really hard. People don't understand how much video I watch. So of the 95 games that I did last year, I watch every single game at least once and probably 75 to 80% of those games twice. And then after I watch them a second time, I clip plays from all of those games. I have four external hard drives full of plays that I've clipped over the years. And I would say that my play library is in the 10,000s as far as plays over the years that I've clipped. Now, am I ever going to go back and look at those probably not but it just when you're doing it you're clipping plays and you're studying like we do it reinforces and reassures you like hey look this is how it's got to be done even if you did it wrong then this is the way it needs to be done if you did it right okay i got to make sure that i see this and do this the right way every single time and sometimes when you're like i'll be on the road sometimes and I'll think, gosh, I'm not seeing block charge plays very well. And I'll pull out my external hard drive and I'll put it in. And I've got like, I don't know, 750 block charge plays there. And I'll look at 100 of them just to see what I was doing right then, what I was doing wrong. And then all of a sudden, the next time I see it, it looks clear to me and it slows the game down for me. So those are the things I would say to young guys. You got to really work hard, especially nowadays with all the ability that we have to get video to talk to other guys, to be, to see older guys and uh, that have done it. Like I would have never been the official I am today without Dick Cartmel explaining things to me and sending him plays and saying, what's your take? To this day, I still send Dick probably 200 plays that happened during the season to get his advice and how we handled it. So those are the things I would tell young guys who aspire to do what we do, no matter what sport. I'm sure it applies to baseball. Uh, football, <laughs> anything else. I'm sure it applies. Those are the things I would say to them to for them to work at work out. Yeah. And, and you're talking about this currently, you're not talking about young guys starting out. Uh, you're talking about to yourself, about yourself, someone who's done it a long time, yet you're still, you're still constantly trying to learn or improve. Uh, I mean, how many years of officiating is this for you now, uh, Tony? For counting high school and everything. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I got into division one in 2002, John Danglis hired me from the big West. The big West is my first conference I ever got into. So 
Um, uh, that was my first one in 2002, but I've been doing high school basketball since 1985 or maybe even before that 84, maybe. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just, you gain a lot of experience over the years, um, from doing all this. I mean, you, you, and then you think, okay, I've seen everything, but then something pops up and you, you go, Oh no, I've never seen this before. And you're just, you can't believe it, but it happens all the time. Oh man. So this that, and that's, yeah, and that, in 30, 30 plus years, we'll say, I mean, you know, just been working at it, the same craft, different levels, and you're seeing new things, but you're just constantly mental reps and, and you, you sound like you're still hungry. And, and I think those are what makes the best officials or guys that just, they never stop. They don't stop learning. Cause like you said, the day you think you've seen it all or you know it all, you probably should retire <laughs> because what's the point, you know? So, and, and, uh, I have, I doubt very much there's anyone out there who, uh, has accomplished those things, but that's the goal, right? To strive for for perfection as best we can, and at, at any level we're working. Mike Reed says it best. He says, "What's expected of us is we're supposed to start out perfect and get better from there." And <laughs> I think it's a great quote. But getting back to the hard work, Dave Libby years ago, when he took over as supervisor of the WCC, he was telling me, and I wasn't even that old at the time, but he says, oh, there's a lot of young guys that are really, really good, and they're very experienced, and they got a lot of games under their belt at such a young age, and I'm telling you, you better watch out. And I said, Dave, I'm not worried about these guys. And he says, well, why aren't you worried about them? I said, because they're never going to outwork me, never. And to this day, I vow to be outworking all these younger guys to everybody in, in my craft. And I don't even know if I really do it, but but to me, it's important that I continue to outwork everybody that I can. And I don't mean that in a competitive way or in a negative way towards my fellow officials, because I love there's a lot of guys in this business I truly, truly, truly love. And it's just that that's the way that drives me. That's the way that makes me better. That's the way that I know I can go out and referee any game in the country is that I got to put in the hard work. I think if I felt like I was slacking. I would lose confidence and I wouldn't feel right about working at this level. So you got to put it in. Yeah. The bar has been set high uh, for performance and everything that, that it falls under. Uh, but it's, it's guys like you, Tony, that really helped set that bar being high. Uh, there's some great officials around the country. Uh, as I mentioned to you, you're one of my favorite guys to watch. And I hope next year we get the opportunity to, to, uh, at least for me to be table side working the monitor when you're working a ball game, it's, it's always a pleasure. It's so much fun to uh, pick your brain and, and just get your different perspective on things. I can't tell you how much it's been uh, fun sitting down talking with you today, uh, just about everything. I mean, it, the time has flown by uh, anything else you, you'd like to mention or anything else for us uh, things, stories or anything you think we we might uh enjoy no matt i appreciate the time it's it's neat to talk about it it's 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 a good feeling to be able to share my experiences with you guys and 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 i appreciate all the nice things you said about me there's a lot of people that you know work behind the scenes that i truly appreciate and i don't get the chance to thank all of them but you guys doing replay you guys actually have a tremendous table at fullerton it's one of the most underrated tables in the country but that table, you guys do a great job there, and we appreciate all that you do, and I really appreciate all the nice things you said. It's really, really nice of you to uh, recognize me like that, and it's been a pleasure for me to talk like this. Oh, man. Well, well, hopefully I see you down here in Southern California. I'll definitely look you up if I'm uh, up in that in, in Sacramento area. 
I, I hope there's, I'm, I'm hopeful there's a season next year. I think, you know, there's a whole lot of things with this COVID situation that, uh, you know, need to fall into place. And, and you know, it's above my pay grade for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think everyone, yourself included, anyone in any athletics with NCAA and, and, and even higher levels, uh, they want to be safe, but we want to get back out there eventually. And I'm hopeful that next season people will be hungry, hungry to officiate, to play, and, and, and that we have a season next year. Couldn't agree more. I'm really looking forward to it. Our season was cut short. I was really, you know, I had a, I felt like I had a really, really successful year and I was really looking forward to the postseason. So for it to be cut short like that, you kind of feel like you have something to prove, like you got to get back out there and you got to do it again. I mean, I enjoy the downtime too, but you get, you know, we all want to get out there and it's look at this, this stuff is our livelihoods. People become accustomed to being able to support their colleges, to support their favorite teams and things like this. And it's been a real letdown to not be able to go out there and, and, and see sports and the enjoyment that we get out of it. I mean, I really miss going out and spending time with the guys, not throwing batting practice this year has been tough on me. So, but it's, it's, it's been ingrained in our culture so much that I'm hoping that this thing gets resolved and things get back to normal. I'm really looking forward to seeing college football and pro football start to play again. So that'd be great. Yeah, I think that'll uh, that'll kick off yep. hopefully a chain re- chain reaction of everything, and, and we'll be we'll be in an okay spot. So it's it's a tough, but you know it is what it is. We've uh, we've come this far, so we'll see what happens. And uh, anyway, I'd look forward to uh, to the next season, uh, all sports. But uh, Tony, thanks again for coming on today. It was so much fun to, to chat with you, and I appreciate your time and all the things you. Uh, you fill us in on about officiating and just, just everything in general. So much fun. Great, Matt. Thanks. I'm glad it went well. And uh, thanks for the, thanks for the time. Thanks for the chance to kind of talk about, we don't, like I said, we don't ever get, we're not on this side very often. So I really appreciate you reaching out and letting me do this. Oh, definitely. The pleasure's all mine and uh, we will see you soon, Tony. Sounds great. Thanks, Matt. Once again, another big thank you to Tony Padilla. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. We know we recorded a couple weeks ago, but it was an absolute pleasure having you on the program today. And guys, I got to tell you, with the episode Monday and now the episode today, these are two of my favorite episodes we've put out. I know they're the most recent, but I got to tell you, uh, we've had a lot of great guests, a lot of episodes that stand out, but these are two men that uh, I really enjoyed talking to the past couple days and just really hope to uh, chat with them again, whether it be uh, in person or (laughs) over the uh, podcast again down the road. Uh, Either way, I look forward to it. Tony, thank you again. You are a class act. You're a true professional, sir. I really hope that we have college basketball next season and that our paths cross again. I would love the opportunity to work table side again as the replay technician, as you are officiating basketball games. That is one of the true uh, joys out there for me uh, and watching somebody who is uh, among the best in the business to do it. So thank you so much, Tony. Uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you being here. 
Uh, guys, that'll wrap up another episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. As always, tomorrow is Wednesday, and that means we will be joined by Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in from the retired Riverside police officer and the recently retired college baseball umpire. Breaking news, he <laughs> made his retirement announcement not too long ago on this show. But uh, Bill will join us tomorrow to talk about a little bit of everything. There's plenty to talk about, whether it be talking about police work, uh, the coronavirus, the protests, the rioting. There's lots to talk about. Bill has joined us every single Wednesday for the past few months now. And he even had a a special uh, guest episode out uh, about a week and a half ago on a Sunday night when we came together for some, uh, you know, just to kind of let out some some frustrations and vent a little bit about everything that was going on. But uh, Bill has some experience actually umpiring some games that Tony was coaching when he was coaching his, his son's team in the, the youth firecracker tournaments that he mentioned earlier in the interview. So uh, Bill will have plenty to talk about uh, regarding Tony. Uh, nothing but good things, of course. I got I to gotta tell you, he was really excited that I told him Tony Padilla was coming on this program. So I know he will have plenty to comment on regarding this recent episode and, and Tony Padilla. So Bill Barnes, he'll be here tomorrow. For those of you who have, uh, you know, kind of become Bill's fan club, I know you guys will be tuning in. For those of you who don't know, Bill has uh, got himself a little, little fan base here from our episodes, from our uh, podcast. A lot of people look at, look forward to listening to him every single Wednesday because he has very strong opinions. I got to admit that uh, they're rather humorous, humorous at times, but, but in general, he's, he's all, he's all seriousness. He wants to get his point across. He's definitely not shy about anything. And uh, he will say what a lot of people are thinking. So looking forward to having Bill on the program tomorrow. Lots to talk about. Plenty to talk about. Uh, guys, as always, you can follow the Get Home Safe podcast through our various social media platforms. We have a Twitter handle that is Get Home Safe Pod, our Facebook and Instagram page, our, our excuse me, Get Home Safe podcast at, yeah, excuse me, again, Get Home Safe podcast. Our email address that is, is Get Home Safe podcast at yahoo.com. Those are our social media platforms. We operate through the Anchor app. You can listen to us there. Uh, Anchor helps distribute our podcast throughout many, many platforms. And a few of the uh, the bigger ones are Apple and Spotify, but there's plenty more. If you do listen to us through the Anchor app, we would appreciate it if you'd add us as one of your favorites. It's just a simple click click of a star next to our uh, our podcast title. We greatly appreciate that. We appreciate all the support out there, everyone who's listened. If you want to contact us through our social media or email, you can do so. If you have any suggestions, uh, just want to say hello. Just, uh, just anything really. We, we appreciate it. We appreciate any feedback we can get. We are slowly approaching 3,000 plays. I'm confident by the end of the week, we will uh, go above and beyond the 3,000 plays mark. I have no doubt about it with all the listenership we continue to have. Uh, guys, we're here every single Monday through Friday. Our episodes generally come out at 7 in the morning, West Coast time. Sometimes it's pushback, but in general, we are here on the Get Home Safe podcast every single Monday through Friday. So thank you for tuning in. I can't wait to get to Bill Barnes tomorrow. I can't wait to continue recording our episodes throughout the week. I won't tell you who we have on Thursday or Friday yet. Uh, we're still working on it. We, we put together some interviews as well. So we just got to do some editing and, and, uh, and other things. But guys, whatever you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.